1: Difficult to part ways with a, a young player like Luke, but that being said, we've gotten a proven winner in Nick Benino, another center, a guy that uh, that I know well from, like I said earlier, my Pittsburgh days. And Nick brings a lot of uh, a lot of intangibles on and off the ice, and something that um, you know that we're looking for.
2: Trader Bill, Trader Bill in the house. No punches, making moves. We're going to break down all of the wild, frivolous activities over the last 24 hours and let you know if this Nick Benino character is going to add value to the room, so to speak. Also, uh, former Twins pitcher in the spotlight last night for sort of hilarious reasons and a scoop with Doogie inside information about your favorite local sports teams on the show and powered in part, Mackie and Judd, by a federated mutual insurance company. And Federated, in support of local health care facilities and workers, has donated 18,000 N95 respirator masks to Owatonna Hospital and also several outdoor blue lights for the Owatonna Clinic building. Federated insurance employees are donating their time, talent, and financial resources to help our communities. And team members have produced masks and face shields for health care workers and first responders and caregivers. I bring all this up just to to show that Federated Insurance, in addition to helping business owners for over 100 years, is always putting community first. Find out more about Federated and how they can also help your business at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL two guys of Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Boy, Mackie and on Score North and ScoreNorth.com.
1: Those are the type things that that we need to move forward. And he brings all those intangibles, you know, along with offensive capability. And you know, as a role player, he, t- he had 18 goals this year. You know, the experience of playing deep into the playoffs, and you know, those those are very valuable things.
2: Billy Garen. Talking about Nick Benino in that in that soundbite, 32-year-old center. And as we were recording Mackie and Judd yesterday, all of this stuff was breaking. Well, the, first of all, the draft was happening. And right before the second round of the draft took place, the Wild Trades, uh, Cunning for Benino and I believe it was the two second-round picks, right? Yeah. They got the 37th and the 39th picks. Second and third. It it was like the, yeah, second and
3: third. And then they sent a fourth and Cunning back to Nashville.
2: So now that you guys, now that Judd's Hockey Show here, available on Apple, Spotify, and ScoreNorth.com, the all-new ScoreNorth.com, now that you guys have had 24 hours to dissect this, in the moment, Judd was like, we need to wait and see here. I need to do a little bit more homework. And Declan was like, this is a terrible trade. Luke Cunning is a guy that you shouldn't be cutting bait on in his early 20s. Now that you guys have had 24 hours to think about this, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh, So I I got home... Yesterday and sat down to write a column about this, so I did start to do uh, some work on Panino and the trade itself. And as both of you guys know, I don't like to react. I like to really digest. I mean, it's I'm more fun, of though. I'm I'm more of a uh, I'm more of probably I lean towards an NPR sports guy. You know, I just like to take. You do, it,
2: yeah. You're very level headed. All the I like time. to
3: take it. The time the time right now is ten and five. Nick Benino. And, has uh, been Nick, Benino to the wild? Nick Benino. Partly who, cloudy skies. Uh, and a
2: high of sixty. I have multiple
3: trades with Bill Guerin. The wild has folded, and I've got some thoughts on that, but not before this. What Um,
2: is is a wild? Six five one six four six.
3: Oh, you don't take no, no. You tell people at NPR. You tell them. Actually,
2: you bring on a wild Uh, a wildlife expert to tell you. Yeah,
3: from the Minnesota Zoo. Let's bring in Ann. Ann, what's a wild? Ann. I have no bleeping (laughs) clue. Thank you, Ann. The time now is ten oh six. Now it's ten o seven. So after I don't even know if they give the time. That's an unfair. I think they give it every. Accusation. I think they give it every three minutes. It just feels like it. They do ten o seven now. So after I did some research on this trade, uh, Bill Guerin is doing some very interesting work here, and and I've determined it's on two tracks, Declan. I'd say at the very least, mm-hmm. one one is the attempt to replenish the system with players that he sees, young players that he sees as eventual good fits, Mm -hmm. uh, which means probably faster players. It means getting more players at center. It probably means getting some defensemen who can move the puck a bit more. But the the Wilds farm team in Iowa, which previously had been terrible and had a good year this past year, it still didn't probably have what Guerin determined to be the best players. And keep this in mind, too. the, The fairest thing to say about Guerin's predicament is this one. Fenton got fired July 2019. Garin comes in in August. Training camp starts in September and then the season started I believe last year they played in Nashville on October 3rd. So he did not have he didn't know the team and did not certainly did not have the time to come in and say okay I'm going to put my stamp on this team in in a month plus. So he had the advantage or disadvantage whichever way you want to see the predicament as looking at the team for an entire season and then the stoppage. He traded Zucker in February, but the two tracks that I think he determined uh, coming out of the Wilds four game loss to the Canucks in the return to play are younger players, faster players, players that he deems to be a fit for how he wants the team to play. That's the obvious one. And that's addressed through draft picks and youth. The more interesting one is the short term one, which also gives you um, some contractual freedom, which is great. But, if you go back and look at, at Nick Bonino's stays, and he has played during his career, it's been an 11-year career, with the Ducks, the Canucks, the Penguins, with uh, whom he won two Stanley Cups when Garen was in the front office there, and then finally the Preds. In doing research of his time with the Penguins and his time with the Preds, this guy was in the locker room, absolutely loved he was absolutely, and I think he's got a goofy side. I think he's fun, but I also think he is a hockey, no-nonsense, we-are-going-to-play-now guy, which, and this differs from sport to sport, and it probably differs in football from, like, an offensive guy and a defensive guy, but but, but in hockey, it translates to the entire room. And I think Garen, who was a captain, Phil, of a couple of teams that, that he played with and won a Stanley Cup with the Devils and won one as a player with the Penguins, I think Garen positively identified what we've talked about for a long time. Dex and I have talked about. My dog Stella has talked about this. It was so obviously apparent. That room lacked people. It didn't lack good people. It lacked people who could lead, and it had a lot of people that got comfortable. Benino strikes me as the type who's not going to make people comfortable. So last point. I don't think, in doing research, he is a productive player. I don't think in any way, shape, or form is he, on opening night or otherwise, a number 1 center. He is probably a 3. He might be a 2. He's not that good. But what he brings to you is the type of person, at least for a year, and then his contract is up, he brings to you for a season the type of character who can leave an impression on the young players, and who is going to be a much different person in that room than, let's say, Koivu was or Stahl.
2: Okay, real, real quick, just to translate for hockey illiterate people like me, is there a like a Twins player comparison or a like a Vikings player comparison in sure. recent history that you can say like, oh, Nick Benito's is going to be kind of like this?
3: I would be kind of like ideally Nelson Cruz. Whoa, he,
2: but Nelson Cruz uh, is their best hitter. No, 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 no. That's close. I, no,
3: I'm saying I'm saying off the ice. So I'm I'm not talking about the player. Uh, that's um as far as the production on the ice. I'm saying, because the hidden th- thing here is the discussion about what he's going to bring in the room. And so the hope is, because he's probably not, he's not wound as tight as, as like Donaldson is, so he's not going to throw stuff. But I do think that he is a galvanizing influence who can bring a positive mentality. And to go back to, and I think we discussed this As soon as the trade was made, when we tried to analyze it quickly, Um, part of the problem with this wild team has been the amount of guys who get frustrated when things aren't going well, and they're like, "I don't know," or they just they look exasperated by the fact that things aren't going well. So, I think that what he would bring ideally is what Nelson Cruz brought, as far as a stabilizing uh, influence off the field.
4: I would probably compare him to maybe a Taj Gibson or like a Terrence Newman. Ooh. I would say those Taj are probably Gip, more Taj accurate. Gibson's
3: speaking my language
2: yeah, there. Yeah,
4: I, I think Taj Gibson's probably more your accurate one. Uh, Terrence is a little different situation with, with <clears throat> the Vikings, Black- excuse me. Taj was a huge key to that little blip that the Timberwolves had right. like when, when,
2: before it crashed and burned. Uh, he was a huge key to why the Timberwolves were good. He was a glue guy. He could also perform. Yeah. He wasn't just like... A chemistry guy behind the scenes who, like Mark Madsen, great chemistry guy, but you can't put him in a game because right. he can't do anything.
4: And okay. I think when a lot of people, when I, so I didn't like the trade at first just because I don't like trading a young player for an old player, but the return was pretty reasonable. I mean, you got two draft picks out of it. You got an established center who is right now better than Luke Cunning, and he's he's going to be a UFA, so you can cut bait by the end of the year and, and you won't have to owe him anything. Um, but I do think there's some deceiving statistics when it comes to them because the analytics say Cunning was horrible last year. I mean, coursey wise he was a 45%. That is awful. It's absolutely terrible. And he mostly spent last season with Joel Eriksson-Eck and Jordan Greenway from natural stat Trick. So that was his normal line mates. And they were heavily outshot when on the ice. However, they were plus creating goals and allowing goals. So they were still productive when they were on the ice. They were still not getting outscored, which is very important. And Cunnan was tied for the team lead last year in even strength goals as a 22-year-old and averaging a healthy amount of shots. Benino, on the other hand, was playing with guys like Rocco Grimaldi and Craig Smith, who are much better players right now than Jordan Greenway and Joel Eriksson-Eck. And Benino, in my opinion, had pretty unsustainable shooting percentages in Nashville. He didn't shoot a lot, but he converted a lot of his goals. I don't think that's very sustainable either. And I just have a tough time parting with someone who I see a lot of upside in with Luke Cunnan. For Benino, who plays a position of need on this team, but I, I really can see Luke Cunnan flourishing in Nashville... And I, I I actually disagree with Judd. I think Benino is the most well rounded center now on this team. Is he your first line center? That's we can we can debate that. Yeah. We can definitely probably well, put he's, right He's not
2: a first line center on a good team. No,
4: no, 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 he's line. not. And yeah, and he played third line minutes in in with Nashville and he was honestly a role player in Pittsburgh when they won their last cup as well. Um but I do think he's your most well rounded center. But I, I think trading Luke Cunning and there's this again, that that's where the eye test has to come in with these analytics because yes, Luke kind of was heavily outshot in his course. He was horrible last year, but when those three were on the ice, they actually were creating more goals than they were allowing. So you have to, like, you have to use the stats and use the eye test to really pick pick apart what analytics work and what they don't work.
3: This gets into, though, the very murky, difficult discussion of how do you find you're not building a fantasy team? Mm -hmm. You're actually building a team made up of humans who are tough to judge at times. I believe that this trade was lar- largely made contractually won uh, b- because Cullen was a restricted free agent, which meant that he had to be paid something. Um, Benino comes with a set contract, but I also think that Guerin thinks he can identify people that will fit together. And the other interesting thing here, too, is if Benino has a good year, guess what? There's the potential to spin him off for more at the deadline last year of his contract. Easy guy to trade, possibly. So there's a. This creates a lot of room for different things, but I don't think that we can underestimate the discussion about what this guy can potentially bring off the ice to a team that has been in desperate need. I mean, Koivu. Koivu. If Koivu was just a guy and not the captain, he's back. What do you mean? If he's a fourth line guy, if Koivu was just an ordinary player who didn't wear the C, and and. you know, a veteran guy who got demoted from the first line, second line to the fourth line. Bill Guerin brings him back. He got rid of Koivu based largely on baggage of Koivu. and so I mean, he is trying. Are you,
2: are you saying he just wanted a different leader of the? I'm, I'm saying room or...
3: I'm saying he's trying to clear that room out as much as possible, and, and so he he was not he was not necessarily cleared out based on his play because he actually accepted his role. Guerin knows what it. Garrett knows what a Stanley Cup winning formula, and that's the key word here. What a complete formula looks like. Yeah, and he's looked at the formula, and he's accurately said what everyone had said, which is that formula that you tried or kept trying, and you know banging your head against the wall year after year after year just did not work.
2: So as I, as I sort of see it here from thirty thousand feet, I think the trade yesterday was pretty simple in principle. Mm-hmm. It involves, I think, these three components. Number one, they wanted someone to come in, someone who's not 37, Benino's 32. Like a lot of these guys between Koivu and Parisi and Suter, it's like the veterans have just like gone too far toward 40. Yeah. So someone who can be a veteran presence who brings in some sort of winning DNA from outside the organization, Stanley Cup DNA from outside the organization, and can still play a little bit. And he identified Benino as that guy. Like we, we need that Taj Gibson presence in that room. And even if, even if it's not a superstar player, someone who can like respectably still play, <clears throat> but mostly can help change the culture behind the scenes and show this team what a Stanley Cup blueprint looks like. You're going to have to give up something to get that, right? Unless you thought that thing was in free agency and you had enough cap room to sign it. And so they said, all right, well, we got you can't just like get, you can't get that type of a guy for free. Okay, what can we give up here? Uh Luke Cunning, good but not elite prospect is the way they view him. And so they probably don't love giving him up, but they felt like the center that they grabbed with the thirty-seventh pick and then their their first round pick Rossi from yesterday sort of makes up for like all right, we've got we've got some restocked cupboards at that position, and we can afford to give up Cunning for a leader and a guy that knows what a Stanley Cup winning team looks like. Mm-hmm. So I, I think to Declan's point. This trade really hinges on, does Cunning become a star in Nashville? Because if he becomes a star in Nashville, this is a bad trade. Yep. But if he's just like a solid player that you could just sort of find in any draft or anywhere, like if he's like if he's Charlie Coyle or something, like
3: <laughs> I'm fine with this trade. And that's what, yeah, that's the upside here, I think. I, I don't think he's going to be a great player. I think he's a, a good, solid player. Um, but the desire to pick the pieces of this team apart are evident, and they're not wrong. And look, Benino in in I think it was the 2017 Cup Finals in Game Two. Yep. You boys want gritty? You boys want grit? I'll give you grit. Here's the grit. In Game Two, PK Subban launches a slap shot that Benino blocks and partially breaks his tibia. They take. That's so hot. Wait, I'm not done because we get more grit. Rakes his bleeping they, leg. They take him in to be examined and they say to him, All right, right now it's a small fracture. It's a small fracture. Don't worry about it. You can either be done for the series and we can avoid surgery, or you can try and play some more, in which case the fracture is going to grow and you're going to need surgery. Nick Benino looks at the doctor and says, I got 12 more minutes in me, buddy boy. And goes out and plays, and and wow. needs surgery, and then subsequently gets a four-year free agent contract from whom the Nashville Predators. Okay, you want grit? That's grit. That's so hockey. When? When's the last? We, we need
2: a hockey. Sounder. When's the last
3: time you, you saw Charlie Coyle play with a broken leg? Huh?
2: Hey, real quick too, as I go through sort of the, uh, I, I I'm looking at. The last three years, uh, qualified forwards. Actually, I, I sorted by qualified centers the last three years. So guys who've played at least 120 games in the NHL last three years. And where Nick Benino kind of falls in terms of point shares, which yep. is, it, it, that, that's a little bit of an oversimplification. But sort of like, how much value are you contributing to your team's point total at the end of the year? And he's right, he, so he's 74th out of like 200 centers. Or just so he's like an above average center. Yep. But he's right in there with familiar guys like Ryan Getzlaff and Paul Stastny. So, you know, guy, actually which St- says a lot
3: about Stasny's fall off. It does. And actually oh Stasny God. was a guy
2: that I think the Wild were kicking the tires on when he was a free agent like yeah, he years was ago. Damn
3: good at the time. He was. that's so, yeah, uh, fair though. So you're yeah. saying this is a
2: guy who'll play through a broken damn leg and show those young players <laughs> what real hockey grit looks like.
3: Yes. All right. Yep.
2: I'm I'm here for And it. I think
3: he's a, I think he's a quality I think he's a quality guy overall in the room who's not going to make excuses. Which, as Declan can confirm, this team needs a lot more of. Yes, they do. Folino, I think, I think he might have been the only one consistently who you never got any BS from. No.
2: This is what Bill Guerin said about retooling versus rebuilding.
1: Yeah, every time we step on the ice, I expect us to win. And I expect us to compete for a championship. We're trying to do, like I said, we're trying to do a little bit of both. A little bit for now and a little bit for the future. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but I I think with uh, the picks we've made over the last day and a half, uh, I I think we're heading in the right direction. I love
2: Bill Guerin. He's the best. He's just like he's no he's, BS. No, he's smart he's he shoots straight. I think he now it could turn out that this whole thing train wrecks and that these are terrible draft picks and that you know that he gets fired or something but what I love about him is he clearly has a vision for what he thinks a Stanley Cup championship team should look like and how it should be built and he is just unapologetically hacking the weeds down. To, to carve out this uh,
3: this area for him to build this and team. And he's played on those teams. Yeah. Like, he, he, he won takes. a cup in Jersey and Pittsburgh, and so he, he has seen the formula. And now the question is, can he as a GM get there? And I don't know if the answer to that question is yes, but he's seen the formula that it takes. And the thing that I really like, though, and has become more and more rare across all sports and sports executives now... I love the fact that he's willing to sort of share the vision of how he plans to get there as opposed to completely trying to um, m- mislead you and give you doublespeak. Yeah. While probably, while potentially, I shouldn't say probably, while potentially being a good GM or VP. But we just get so much doublespeak now, and he basically says, here's what I think, and he might be wrong, but, heck, it, it's intriguing to hear it. He,
2: he seems like an old-school guy. Where, where does he fall in terms of like his philosophies? Does does he buy into analytics at all, or is he just yes, a, a, yes, an old-school guy? In,
3: in fact, I think the first I think one, one of the first jobs that the Penguins gave him when he uh, joined their management team was that role. Analytics role of, and I don't know if he broke things down or tried to process it, but he definitely he definitely has been involved. Now, does he buy does he buy in completely? I don't know, um, but I think that there I think he understands it, and that, that's the most important thing to yeah. me. Is do you do? You, it's not that you have to adhere to it or buy it all, but the frustrating thing is when it's when it's very clear that analytics gets dismissed because you don't get it. Like that's not a good excuse right. to dismiss it.
4: He does the perfect blend of eye tests and using the resources that are at, at his place to blend both, and I think that's what's really important. And also with the Wild too, going into next season with again we have a flat salary cap for this season and next because of COVID, so it's at eighty one million dollars. So going into next offseason, the Wild will have fifty five million in cap in in money that they're in their roster, so they have twenty six million in cap space going into next season because all these centers that they have acquired wait they have twenty six million
2: like next week or next or next winter
4: as in next winter okay so they only technically have three forwards who are not ufa or rfas under on contracts through next season so then obviously like guys like fiala are going to get a big raise caprazaff will get a raise volina will likely get a contract but you are setting yourself up to figure out if benino Bukstead, johansson guys who are all entering their ufa seasons can be guys you want to keep and build around and you're not locking yourself in to the Matt Zuccarellas of the world and giving out contracts that yeah. you don't want to do.
2: That's the thing. Like,
4: I, I feel like the Wild's biggest
2: problem that has really just like put this glass ceiling in place is they they find the need to pay too much money and too much term to non-needle-moving players. It's like, well, we need a... We need a second line wing. Let's give Jason Pominville a lifetime contract,
3: right? Well, it's like it's- Fenton got Fenton got absolutely done. Z- Zuccarello was not going to get the contract that he got either financially or term wise from anybody. And Fenton basically panicked and said, "I got to get somebody." And uh, then, and then, of course, he gives him the traditional. Well, not only am I going to give you a multi year contract, Mats but I'm going to give you a no-move clause. Yeah. And Chuck Fletcher gave those out every week, and that's the thing that drove you crazy. But I I also like the fact, to go back on the, the Benino talker here, I love the fact that they also have put themselves in a position at the trade deadline for 2021, where if they're not that good, they can trade guys on cheap contracts, which is going to get you more back, which is very intriguing and possible. So... This sets up to me to put them in a really good position to to in a couple years or a year from now be in a be in a spot where you say to yourself, oh yeah, okay, this all makes perfect sense now.
2: You want to know a fun Bill Garen fun fact from his career? You want to know how much of a hockey guy Billy Garen is? That's true. Do you know that? So the NHL season's an, it's an eighty-two game season, right? Mm-hmm. Billy Garen in two thousand two thousand one played 85 regular season games Oh, he got in traded. An 82 game season. He
3: got dealt. Oh, that's right. Football. Yeah. Yeah. Football.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Football, yeah. Football.
3: He was a oh, He was a great player. He, he was really a was. really good player yeah. and and he he was drafted when the draft was held at Met Center. Interesting. Or late 80s? Uh 89 I believe it was. Okay. Yeah, yes. he in,
2: in 2000 2001, he started the season in Edmonton. He played 21 games for Edmonton and then got traded to Boston. And played 64 games in Boston, so Boston must have had more games more left games. on their schedule. And he played 85 games. So uh, that's, a man,
3: that's a man who loves his hockey.
2: He does loves himself some hockey. Hey, the other thing of note that we have to get into before the scoop podcast there's a couple things to get into, but this happened last night. <laughs> this is ball to deep center field. Ballinger twisting
3: around still.
2: That was last night, the Padres and the Dodgers, and I get that because basically 80% of TV networks were showing the vice presidential debate last night, which I did not watch. I have not watched either debate. I don't think this is going to sway anyone. It shouldn't anyways. Like You should already know who you're voting for. So I'm not interested in watching flies land on people's heads and uh, people chirp each other. But that was one of the most fun baseball games of the entire year last night. Padres and Dodgers, you had... Theatrics, you had haymakers, home runs, superstars, guys chirping. And that was the culminating moment in the seventh inning last night. And our former guy here, Bruce Dar Gratterall, on the mound for the Dodgers, just pumping 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. And Fernando Tatis Jr. comes up. Padres trailing 4-3, to three, runner on base. And Tatis hits an absolute rocket to center field. And Cody Bellinger goes back jumps up, robs a home run. Just an amazing catch. And it, were you guys watching this live? Yes.
4: I did not see it live. It was, I flipped so, it right over afterwards, though. It so was great. Gratterall
2: gives up what would have been a go-ahead home run to Fernando Tatis in this huge spot, right? He basically just got owned in this huge spot. Yep. And Gratterall, and he's had a pretty good season, but he then proceeds as he's sort of like jumping for joy and pointing out to Bellinger. He's jumping for joy, going back to the dugout, takes his hat and his glove, Chucks them wherever towards the dugout yeah 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 he just lost him then he turns around and Manny Machado who's on deck Manny Machado had kind of walked over like like what are you doing like shut up dude like you just like <laughs> he just hit a bomb off you and you got lucky right and Gratterall starts waving goodbye to Manny Machado yes. and then they start just like dropping f-bombs back and forth so Bruce Dar Gratterall congratulations you got your moment in the spotlight okay. giving up a go-ahead bomb that got as stupid luckily pulled back into the yard. As
3: stupid as that seemed by Bruce Darr. Was that not the definition of what we want in baseball just yes. as a whole? And Machado yes. being all PO'd, which is sort of funny because it's like, hold on a second. You want to celebrate, and yet, yeah, Bruce Dar looked goofy, but he's happy, <laughs> yeah. okay? And now you're telling him, Oh, well, no, no, you can't be happy in that one. And the whole thing is to let the kids play. But I love here here's what I loved. In that context. I love the hate. So, like, what I don't what I don't like is a bat flip followed by public indignation about you cannot flip your bat, there, young man, because this is baseball. That's stupid. But if you want, if the dugouts want to go back and forth and be like, that's BS, you can't do that. I actually, so, I like that because it builds the hate. <laughs> and is there anything better in us in sports than what you can see? is a building rivalry of pure hatred. I love it, and
2: they're they're in the same division. Like No one's going to watch the game because they all start at 9.30 or whatever uh, in the regular season, but I'm trying to walk this line of I want these guys to chirp at each other. I I want them to pimp home runs. I want them to flip their bats. If If the Padres would have completed their comeback, they almost came back down three in the ninth inning, and they had the bases loaded, and... Man, like the bat flip that would have happened if they would have hit a home run or something. So I'm trying to walk the line of, I I love this. I love the emotion. I love them yelling at each other, just like you see in other sports. And also looking sideways at Bruce Dar Gratterall for pimping a robbed home run. Like you gave up a freaking
3: moonshot. Did
2: you like the throw of <laughs> like, the hat like or the glove dropping. more? The glove
3: throw was fantastic. <laughs> the glove he just whipped towards the dugout. He like
2: blacked out because he was just like he's applauding. Oh, God, oh, this God. is amazing. God. And I don't know, man. Cody Bellinger from going from first base to
3: center field. Man, that guy's got some hops. Robbing home runs. And he and on, on that catch, go back and watch it. He gets turned around too. So like he's off balance and then he recovers and makes that catch. But I just thought the entire sequence was just so much fun because it was so not what we're used to in baseball. Also
2: a little bit more validation that the twins got the trade right and that the twins the, the twins throw Kent to out there. He goes five scoreless, but uh Rocco Baldelli wants but to put it. Cody Stashak in the Not game. Not more than five. Nope. Uh, and Jose Barrios uh he's he's ready to pitch again here if you need him this week. He's all rested from that five inning oh, audience last good. week. So that's good. But Bruce Dargradel gives up what would have been the go ahead home run. The other thing of note, this came out yesterday from the Wall Street Journal so the, the headline is basically, Wall Street Journal reports strikeouts do matter in <laughs> baseball, okay? Okay. Get this. This is amazing. The best predictor of postseason success comes down to one stat, a team's regular season offensive strikeout rate. In all – I will say this slowly. I'm going to pull a jud here. In all playoff series, all playoff series since 2000, The better team in that statistical department has won two-thirds of the time. Sorry, that's the part that I probably should have emphasized. Two-thirds of the time. That's two-thirds, you said? The team with the better regular season strikeout rate wins the series. The Astros have had the lowest strikeout rate offensively in baseball the last couple of years. They're putting the ball in play. So the Twins this season, the Twins didn't strike out that much last year. But the Twins this season had the fifth highest strikeout rate in the American League and the third highest strikeout rate offensively among American League playoff teams, and they also have the most prolific strikeout hitter in Major League history, Miguel Sano. And so, do strikeouts matter as much as we thought twenty or thirty or forty or fifty years ago? No, like it's it's okay to if if, if you're gonna gain some power and some slugging at the expense of some strikeouts, like that's a tradeoff that you can live with. But the Twins this season crossed that line. Like, they were living with too many strikeouts, and they were too feast or famine, and you wonder, like, well, how are the Astros? Man, they're they're up in the series against Oakland, and they went through the Twins, and I thought they were just, like, cheating their way. Well, they were cheating, but they're also really good at just making contact. Right. And so think about how many times the Twins had runners on base in those two games against Houston. Bases loaded in the first inning a couple of times, right? Right. And you just wanted them to put the ball in play. Like, literally just hit a ball somewhere and hope that something happens. <laughs> hit them with and then think about on the flip side, how many times the Astros had like a runner on second, oh, and there's a sixteen hopper that just like goes to the outfield. Oh, <laughs> well, they got lucky. Well, they did get lucky, but they also created their own luck by being able to, I don't know, make contact. So I thought this story was interesting. So in we're we take a long look at it.
3: So what you're saying is at least in part what this shows us is if a power hitting team goes into sort of a strikeout slump. There's no recovering from that because yeah, you, with, you can't then just simply say, "Well, we're slumping as far as home runs go." So Miguel, go up there and make contact. And he's like, "What are you talking about? I can't do that." Yeah, I don't you, make you, contact you, unless I just, hit home runs or doubles. There's poaching. Yeah, exactly. Wait, expand. hold on a second. What? So what? So what is the answer here?
2: They got to get rid of some of these. These feast or famine hitters. But I mean, what should our thought process be? Get rid of Miguel Sano.
3: But what should our thought process be on baseball as a whole? When, when at times we're all told strikeouts are fine because it adds home runs, and clearly this is saying, hold on a second here. That, that's that statement's a bit out over at Skis. What's the happy medium here of what the conversation about baseball should be?
2: Well, you kind of. It's funny we talk about the Twins and how they they've swung so far toward home runs and strikeouts are like the two main things that they do, right? Well, there was a time 20 years ago and you could even argue like with some really good Twins teams 18, 17, 18 years ago where they were on the opposite end of the pendulum where the only way that they scored runs was if Justin Morneau didn't hit a three-home three-run home run. Like that 2006 Twins team, let me pull them up real quick. I think the 2000 or was it? It might have been uh it might have been one of the other ones, but there was a Twins team, it might have been one of the prana teams, where it was like, they had three guys who could home, hit home runs, and then the rest were just station to station. Yeah. Jason Bartlett's and Luis Castro. Yeah, here we go. Okay, the 2006 Twins. <laughs> they had Justin Morneau with 34 bombs, Torrey Hunter hit 31, and Michael Kedire hit 24. So he wasn't like a prolific power hitter, but he, he hit 24 home runs. Sure. Here's the rest of their lineup. Joe Mauer had 13, Luis Castillo had three, Jason Bartlett had two, Nick Punto had one, Lou Ford had four, and Rondell White had seven home runs. Jason Tyner had zero, and he batted My like guy. 250 times that year. So that's sort of the other end of the spectrum, which I wouldn't advocate for either, where they were purely station to station. And for them to get a rally going, it had to be a single, and then a single that went first to third, and then another single. Like it took you three hits to get a guy home, and maybe once in a while you hit a home run. You got to find a middle ground in there somewhere. Like you got to you got to have guys getting on base and at least putting pressure on pitchers, and then be able to poke one to left for a, a you know a, a two run single or something. Yeah. Not just swinging from your heels and always relying on the two and three run homer. And that's I feel like the Twins have have come full circle, and they are now just like the 2001 Oakland Athletics. Like, well, if Miguel Tejada <laughs> doesn't hit a home run, we're screwed. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so, it's yeah, it's frustrating to watch, and I think it helps answer the question of why the Houston Astros have been a little bit better in this postseason than most mm. people had thought, hmm. potentially. They're still cheaters. Or they're cheating again. They're just still cheaters. Yeah. Um, so I guess what would I do? Like, I would I would do a lot of the things we talked about last week. I would, Miguel Sano, I'm sorry, the only thing you bring to the table is you hit home runs. And that's great. Like, if you stay healthy for a full season, you're probably going to hit 35 or 40 home runs. And I'm not here to say that that's not valuable to some extent. But if you disappear for, like, three weeks at a time and you can't make contact in situations where we just need a guy to hit a ball to the outfield with a runner on third base. No, that's not going to happen. I need some baseball players here, some guys that you can rely on. Who do you trust?
3: Arise? Arise? Who's not? Boy, he, and
2: he, he's built like, like an he's athlete, like guy. But yep. he
3: is. But he's going to slap that ball around. He's going to hit hit it to left, hit it to right. He's going to slap it around.
2: I trust Ariza. I trust Polanco. But Polanco has kind of shown he's had that one Buxton, really good year for sure.
3: If he's healthy, which is a huge if, yeah, he strikes out a lot less. I mean, than he does he strike before. out, but he is. Cruz
2: is the perfect balance because he he'll go through slumps where he strikes out quite a bit, but he's not striking out Miguel Sano numbers, right? And he's able to hit a ball to opposite field you know, for a but double. He goes or something. through
3: slumps. That that's that's the correct thing. Like Sano's in this perpetual strikeout mode. <laughs> I don't feel like Cruz is. You know who else I trust who does not strike out a lot is
2: Alex Kirloff. Alex Kirloff well, is the, a high batting average, yeah, you're right. low strikeout hitter.
3: Yep. Because guess what guy. he's got? He's got an approach at the plate. <sighs> Rosario No, I don't trust him. Kepler even With Kepler I, I trust don't trust Kepler. Kepler, you, I you do trust Kepler, I don't do trust Kepler. I don't, and I and here here's the frustrating thing. I've become comfortable with how I feel about Rosario. I don't understand Kepler to this day. Because Declan, you should be right, but I don't trust him. Why do you trust him, Declan?
4: I think he's gotten a lot better eye at the plate. So even the last two full seasons, so like let's eliminate 2020, which is 60 game season. He's been averaging 74 walks per 162 games. He's a lot more disciplined guy. Batting average, yeah, not great, but he can absolutely slug the ball, and he has a good eye at the plate. I'm a big fan of him. I think I think he of all of all those guys, the the Thanos, Kepler's, Rosario's, and I'll even loop Buckson into there. I trust Max Kepler to work the best count mm-hmm. and and get a pitch to hit. So
2: to that point, he puts the ball in play more than most Twins hitters. In fact, at this point in his career, he only has one 100 strikeout season, which is pretty amazing in baseball today. Yeah. Uh, this season, he was on pace to strike out like just around 100 times if they would have played the full season. So I think the problem with Kepler is he makes so much crappy, weak contact against left-handed pitchers. So it's like, yeah, he's putting the ball in play, but it's like a dribbler to the second baseman, which I
3: would rather have than Miguel Sano striking out all the time. Explain his splits to me, though. I don't get 2019 when he suddenly popped up and hit lefties pretty well. And then I know it was a shortened year, but he went back to being completely feeble against him in 2020. It is super weird. Like, I don't understand it.
2: Yeah, he, it looked like he sort of unlocked it. So yes. I've got the numbers in front of me. 2019, he was actually
3: better against, better against think, lefties than righties.
2: Against lefties in 2019, he had an OPS of 880. Against righties, it was 845. So he was, he was a reverse splits, a reverse platoon guy.
3: Which I didn't see coming
2: at that time last year against lefties or this this previous season 378 OPS a 925 OPS against righties so almost a 600 point difference in OPS small sample size they only played 2 months but that's pretty it's pretty jarring and is it possible that left-handed pitchers and scouting reports kind of figured out okay um so he's hunting that low and inside pitch and so if you're trying to throw that little breaking ball or fastball kind of off of his hip that, that comes back over the plate, he's going to crush that. They may have just stopped throwing him that pitch, and lefties have just found other places to get him out. Just throw the ball away. Sure. Because he's, he's a pull hitter too, so if you're a lefty and you can keep the ball away from him, he's probably going to roll over those pitches on the outside corner, which is just like, just thinking like my eye test, it seems like he rolls over a lot of lefties and hits a lot of weak ground balls. Or, or just hits pop-ups because he's like all out in front. He does hit a lot of pop-ups, it seems like. That's correct. So, anyhow, that
3: was... What would have happened... <laughs> a deep
2: dive into Max Kepler's
3: lefties splits. What... what would have happened if Bruzdar was still here and Buxton, who routinely does jump up o- over the fence to rob home runs, and Bruzdar threw his hat and glove towards Rocco in the dugout? How would Rocco have processed that one?
2: Yeah, I think... I think, I think Rocco probably doesn't say anything in the moment, but then like pulls him aside at some point and says, Hey, love the enthusiasm, but you look like an idiot. You just gave up a bomb that would have altered the course of the series and you got Donaldson would have been dude. like, yeah. Like if Cody Bellinger wanted to do like an Ozzy Smith backflip in the outfield to oh, celebrate Robbing a home God, run, I dude, fire not. away. But it just looks, it looks kind of weird when the guy who gave up the 410 foot shot is I the one that's how- like taunting Manny Machado.
4: We love Bruce. Rocco would have... We wh- love that fire from him.
3: Oh, wow, Rocco, yeah. No, you know what? He would have said something cryptic. <laughs> he he would have said something cryptic because he would have hated it so much he couldn't see straight, right? Like Rocco, he, he can't help himself. Like, he's got tells.
4: There's been a disturbance in the kitchen, yeah.
3: He's got definite tells. What What's his first word? He always has a first word when he wants to process a question. Is it so... I think it's so... And he drags out so so he can process because he doesn't want to give you it, – it's smart. He doesn't want to immediately say what comes to mind. So it, it's like, yeah, Rocco, how would you feel about Brewstar throwing his, uh, his cap and glove uh, at, after he gave up an absolute bomb? So, um, you know, Brewstar's enthusiasm, yeah, we're going to talk to him.
2: Yeah, I like the enthusiasm. I just think that –
3: it's one of the great spontaneous moments I've ever seen in baseball. Yeah. I mean, it was stupid, but it's still funny. All
2: right, let's get some inside information about our favorite local sports teams. Woo!
1: Difficult to part ways with a, a young player like Luke, but that being said, we've gotten a proven winner in Nick Benino, another center, a guy that uh, that I know well from, like I said earlier, my Pittsburgh days. And Nick brings a lot of uh, a lot of intangibles on and off the ice, and something that. Um, you know, that we're looking for. All right, Billy Guerin
2: on the wild trade yesterday. Let's get Doogie in here from the scoop podcast, Apple, Spotify, and the all new score North.com. And also from the five eyewitness news sports department, he brings inside information about our favorite local sports teams and Doogie. You just heard from the wild general manager. How, so he's man, he's been busy. He's got a vision for what this team should look like. And he is not hesitating to make moves. So wh- how are these moves landing in and around the organization from what you've heard?
5: Well, I mean, I think he is open. Good morning, by the way, guys. Good to see all of mm-hmm. you. My sense is, is what I told you guys a couple weeks ago, that Bill is open to moving a lot of guys, that I'm not quite sure he's married to guys outside of, you know, I mean, clearly off, right? Fiala isn't going anywhere. Jared Spurgeon looks like the logical next captain. That's a reasonable long-term contract you have him locked up to. I know they re-signed Bro Dean, but like if the right offer came, he would trade Bro Dean. He would trade a lot of these guys. What he failed to mention there, by the way, is that Bonino is an expiring contract. It's a trade chip at next year's trade deadline. Like it's not like he was he was only looking to move Cunning. Like if if the right offer came for Greenway, Greenway was going. Like so many of these guys would end up leaving if if the right offer. If the right offer came, I think Bill looked at this situation, came in with a relatively open mind, evaluated things for that first year and said, this thing isn't working. I need to blow this up. I mean, he won't use the word, but I'll use it. He is rebuilding this thing. This is a rebuild here with the Minnesota Wild.
3: How are uh, the guys that you're talking about, which is in some cases, veteran players who dare I say it, have probably become comfortable. How are they processing this?
5: Well, I can tell you one unnamed player. I texted with this player the other day when the trade went down. I guess it would have been yesterday morning. I said, thoughts on cunning going to Nashville, Nick Bonino now being your teammate. His response, quote, terrible trade. <laughs> Wait, did you did you say a reporter who covers the team or was this the guy who actually is in the locker room? That is somebody in the locker room. Now, I went back. To this he player. He might have been that one. He loves on me. Words. And I said, you know what? <laughs> we can't quite evaluate this trade. <laughs> really, truthfully, right, until we see if the number 37 pick, this center from Russia, whose name I won't even attempt to pronounce, oh, God, no. if in three or four years, if he's a top six forward here in Minnesota, then maybe the trade worked out. But this particular player really likes Luke Cunningham. I just think it's kind of
2: – I feel like this has kind of been the wild story for the last several years where, like, almost every move that the front office makes or the coaching staff makes, there's, like – there's players in the room that are just like, these guys are idiots. This is stupid. Why are we doing but this? But that's the thing. Like,
3: <laughs> but I, I honestly believe that, that the more reaction that you get from the veteran core that's like what doug has got the better like this is because it speaks to the comfort it doesn't speak to now if you had said we just want a stanley cup what are they doing i'd be like yeah you're probably right yeah but the comfort of this franchise and the players within it is the problem i know luke we're buddies we go golfing man now he's gone what do you, you know no, that's okay so yeah i think creating garen creating um an amount of players who have become uncomfortable Dugues, I think, is actually the best thing possible for the change that he probably wants to get.
5: I'm fine with that, too, right? Like, Bill has won multiple cups. He knows what it takes to create a winner, to be part of a winner. Oh, by the way, I think we need to go case by case. Like, this particular player didn't like the Cunning Bonino trade, but it's not like he's opposed to some of the other moves that have taken place even going back a year plus. Like, I can tell you, this individual was fine with Charlie Coyle going. This individual was fine with Jason Zucker going. So I think you need to go case by case and evaluate the moves that way. So I don't know if it's you know a comfort level, a certain comfort level that, that you're that you're referencing, Judd. I think this player understands that that changes still need to take place, needed to take place going back a year. But I think we just need to go you know, case by case when, when evaluating each move.
2: All right, let's do uh, Doogie, let's move to the twins here who are once again licking their wounds after an early postseason exit. And they've got a bunch of pending free agents. They, I would assume, have to deal with the same thing that all these teams are dealing with, which is just a financial bath that the that the organization has taken by not putting fans in the seat. So what is the early outlook? On the twins this offseason and and how are they sort of picking up the pieces in the the week after another embarrassing postseason exit
5: they have reached out to all the agents of their pending unrestricted free agents with free agency starting here and in just a few weeks i can tell you in particular on nelly cruz on nelson cruz the conversation was about what it was last winter that that It wasn't real positive. Now, all it would take is one comfortable two-year offer from the Twins, all things equal. Nelly is genuine when he says his first choice is to return here to Minnesota. But I think he's also realistic that that if some team, especially if it looks like the National League, is going to adopt the DH next year, I think all signs point to that. I don't know if anything is, is quite official yet, but all signs point to the DH being in the National League. In 2021, that just opens up more possibilities for Cruz. So all it will take is one strong, definitive two-year offer. It's hard for me to see the Twins offering him a guaranteed two years, right? Like, I think they try to do what they did last time around, right? One year guaranteed, then some sort of team option, vesting option for 2022. I think what will happen is Nelly is going to have some sort of market. I'm not convinced a lot of the fringe free agents, a guy like Jake Odorizzi, you know somebody like that is going to have a strong market but i think the trevor bowers even nelly cruz i think all it takes is one team i think he will get a two year offer maybe from you know a national league team on the cusp this is just me speculating but maybe a team like the reds right a team that is knocking on the doorstep of of making a serious run but needs some offensive help so if he gets that two year deal i think his agent you know per his client per nelly will then circle back to the twins and say okay we have this offer will you match that offer and at this point, the Twins can change. But at this point, there just isn't a sense that the Twins are willing to budge going two guaranteed years.
3: Hmm. Off that point, Duke, what is your sense about the realistic um, uh, financial implications of the pandemic on the Twins and what the payroll might be for 2021? Because I got to think and this is not a poll that thing. It's going to be an across baseball thing. I got to think that that payroll is not going to be what it was uh, when opening day 2020 was supposed to hit on March 26th.
5: Agree, but even with retaining a lot of the guys that are arbitration eligible, it's not like the twins are married to a bunch of guaranteed money for next year, right? And it's hard to see them paying Eddie Rosario $10 million. They'll try to trade him. They can't find a trade partner. You may ultimately just non-tender him. I mean, they, they shopped him around a little bit you know, last offseason and just couldn't come up with the right deal. So at this point, is a team willing to take on $10 million of Eddie Rosario entering the final year of his deal, team control? I don't know about that, but if you look at some of the other guys that are arbitration eligible, okay, you, you re-sign those guys. But, Judd, you're still looking at, like, 85 to 90 right in that ballpark. You know, so they still have some leeway. So even if they go down, what were they, Phil, at it, it, – this year was it one forty two, one forty-four?
2: Somewhere in there. Yeah. So
5: even if you go down to let's say one hundred twenty, which is a pretty sizable drop, but yeah, reasonable in, in these COVID times, they still have probably somewhere in the vicinity of twenty-five to thirty million dollars to play with. So it's that a big issue here. I think it'll be a bigger issue. Elsewhere, so Judd and Phil. To me, they're going to have some leeway to to do some things. Phil, I know you love Trevor Bauer. I'm on record saying Trevor Bauer has fans here. I think they'll make the call. Like I'm convinced they will have a conversation with his agent. They will talk to Rachel, his agent. They will they will absolutely have those conversations. The question is, you know, do the Yankees? Do the Padres? Like he was he was pretty open last night on on social media on Twitter you know, pining for for some of these teams to come get him, right? And oh, by the way, the Reds definitely want to retain Trevor Bauer. So I think, you know, like a free agent like that, he is going to have options. And he's, so for people that aren't in and know on this, apparently when Trevor Bauer was
2: younger, he made a bet with one of his friends that if he ever signed a long-term, like more than a one-year contract as a major league baseball player, that his friend would get to hit Trevor in the you-know-where with a paintball gun. So Trevor Bauer is probably going to get multi-year offers this offseason. He's going to have to determine, is it worth getting shot in the you-know-where with a paintball? Can game? you wear a goalie cup? I don't think so. I think you have to take it. I think if you wore a goalie cup, it probably you'd probably limit. do
4: it. It would limit the damage, but it would still hurt pretty good.
2: Oh, sure. It's now, going to hurt now, no matter what. Now, could he build into the multi-year contract a clause that says the team will not allow him to take direct shots to the you-know-where <laughs> oh, for the like paintball it. gun? Say, I don't know, that's in my contract.
4: Like
5: or it. if he gets a deal that pays him over $100 million guaranteed, give said friend a nice check to not shoot you in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's not that tough. <laughs> that works, yes. too. But, yeah, I mean, this might be, I mean, you know, like this, this might make sense for him to sign a one-year deal, you know, laughs aside, you know, hoping... That, that society comes back, you know, to some form of normalcy, that the economy bounces back to, to some sort of degree, specifically the baseball economy, that maybe the market resets in a year. That heading into the 2022 season, maybe there's a more, you know, robust market, right? So maybe it does make sense. Seriously, for him to sign a one-year deal for 23 to $26 million, I think he will get paid. Phil, I think you're on record saying give him one year $30 million. Yep. He's that good. You know, so maybe sign the one-year deal, then just you know look at the
2: market thereafter. Hey, one one more Twins thing here they've got a they've got an ongoing problem with Byron Buxton, and like it's bad luck that he gets hit in the head with a fastball. So I'm not blaming him for that, but he just he just doesn't play. Like he doesn't he he doesn't play full seasons. He's not reliable, and I think the Twins are at a point where it doesn't make sense just to get rid of him because when he's on the field, he's their most valuable player. But don't they have to come up with some sort of long-term plan in center or some sort of contingency plan? Could it be that Royce Lewis, who played some center field, I believe in the Arizona Fall League, could he be your fallback plan in center field? Royce, get yourself ready to play shortstop in center field and get yourself ready to be called up sometime in like the middle of May. What are your thoughts on, on where things stand with Buxton?
5: Well... On Royce, he certainly is a good enough athlete to handle center field, but in St. Paul at the alternate site, I mean, he played shortstop. He didn't play any outfield, so it would take some time. But, yeah, I think you're right at this point. It's hard to see Byron being in the lineup for 145 to 150 games. Like, you know at this point, he's going to miss games. By the way, going back to game two, I forgot to tell you guys this before before we hopped on here, our little 30-second you know pre-segment meeting. That Byron, the morning of game two, severe migraine. I'm still baffled at the thought process that entailed him going into the game late as a pinch runner. Like, why wasn't he sent back to the hotel? I just don't get that. I'm not quite sure anybody with the Twins, at least on the record, is willing to give a, a real concise answer on that. I don't have a clear, concise answer on that. But I can tell you, he woke up that morning with what somebody close to Byron told me was, quote, a severe migraine. So I just don't understand how he was put into that game as a pinch runner late.
3: Do we know how that decision sat with the Buxton camp?
5: Well, heck, they're still upset going back to when he wasn't called up. Was that a couple of Septembers yeah. ago and, and the manipulation of, of the service time? And make no mistake, the Twins aren't the only organization to manipulate service time, right? The Cubs did it with Chris Bryant. There's, there's numerous examples, but let's just say there's, there's unrest going back to that. But Byron, hey, I, I should point this out. Byron's the one who said, I want to help the team. Okay. I think somebody needed to get in the way of Byron to protect Byron from himself, that, that Byron is that Uber of a competitor, that Byron is the one who said, I'm okay, put me in. But he also had reported that morning that, that he was experiencing severe migraine symptoms. So I just think somebody with the twins should have stepped in and said, yeah, you're, you're not going in today. But it was Byron who said, Put me in. I'm ready to help the team. Let me give you one other Twins note that we didn't talk about pre-segment. Jorge Polanco, and I may end up with, with an interview with Jorge here soon. He actually he played the entire 60-game sprint with, with a really bad ankle. Like, okay. and, and he rarely does interviews. I don't even remember the last time Jorge Polanco did an interview. A Zoom. He didn't, I don't think. I don't think he did. So I, I'm hopeful to maybe get him on the phone. Sometime in the near future there's there's some wheels in motion on that front. Somebody that actually initiated it with me. It wasn't me trying to initiate that. But somebody reached out to me and said, Hey, maybe it's time for Jorge to, to tell his side of the story that, that the ankle <laughs> really, really bothered him, that he had ankle surgery last, I think it was November. Jorge Polanco talks. Yeah, and and it looks like he's going to need another ankle procedure. Did he have done. one last offseason? Yeah, he did. Yeah. So it looks like he's going to need another, a second. Procedure on the ankle. So you talk about this circles back to Royce Lewis. You may need to prepare Royce to end up, you know, mm. helping out at shortstop. Well, too. that
2: makes sense because there must have been a sharp shooting pain going up through his leg, through his entire body when he sidearm oh, lazy ass that throw oh, to boy. Luis Arise and <laughs> blew oh. a playoff game. Must have just must have just had a yeah. numbing
5: feeling in both legs when he made that throw. For sure. No, I hear you on <laughs> that. But, like, just look at the numbers, right? Sure. Like, uh, Jorge's gotten to the point, I mean, legitimate all-star, right? The year before, you know, the, the numbers were there. The numbers just weren't there in this 60-game sprint. So to back that up, you know, like, the ankle was really, really bothering them all year, but they just they never wanted to say anything for for competitive reasons. They just didn't want to lead on to, to the media, to other teams, that the ankle was bothersome.
3: Vikings news. What's going on in Egan?
5: Well, Daniil Hunter... So going back weeks, people with the Vikings thought he would be back for the Atlanta game, October 18th. That that was the game circled, that they thought, okay, this neck issue, this is a six-week injury that that he can return pre-buy. Maybe worst case, post-buy, right? Come back for that game at Lambeau on, I guess it would be, what, November 1st. But at this point, I mean, he's got people in his ear saying, don't come back at all. He posted on Snapchat, which is private but but people I know, you know, showed me what, what was going on, that he was in Los Angeles. So he was in New York last week to yeah. see second a opinion. doctor, a, a second opinion. I don't know exactly why he was in Southern California, so I don't even know if he was there for a third opinion or if it was just something else, but he was out of town again earlier this week. So, you know, he's trying to solicit many opinions. I mean, at this point... It just doesn't look like it's realistic to think, as competitive as he is, as much as he'd like to be out in the field, I'm told this is not Mm contract-related, although I think eventually they need to address how underpaid he is, but that the injury is legit. But at this point, I just don't know if it makes a whole lot of sense to to play him at any point here in 2020. Pat Elfline eligible to come off IR, but he's not ready yet with that thumb injury.
2: Yeah, Eric Kendrick showed up with a foot. He did
5: not practice yesterday. He'll be okay. I'm told he'll be okay.
2: But he's, so he's going to play this weekend.
5: I see him playing on Sunday, unless he has some sort of setback here. Yeah, I think he ends up playing on Sunday.
2: Thielen with a shoulder was limited. He'll be okay today. Yeah, he'll be okay. And Mike Hughes is back to that. being a full participant at practice uh, with that next. So that's good. The, uh, the Seahawks injury report: Jamal Adams likely not going to play with the groin. He didn't practice. He's yesterday. out. Yeah, he's for sure out. And they, there's a couple. They've got a ton of guys on their injury report here. But like I,
5: 30 guys on the injury report. It's crazy. Report.
2: And they're and they're without like like Bruce Irvin is out for the season. They lost a, a starting cornerback to an ACL. But both of their star wide receivers, DK Metcalf it. and Tyler Lockett. Me. Uh, we're limited in practice yesterday, and it says load management yes. next no. to both. Oh, of
3: them. we went NBA. <laughs> they no. went P- NBA. Pete Carroll was. Yes,
2: injected into my veins. <laughs> Very I love Pete Carroll. <laughs> Pete Carroll, you're the guy. Very
3: Pete Carroll like. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: you're the man. Load management. <laughs> love it. Uh, Doogie, Wolves and NBA. So the, the, the NBA season could come to an end on Friday night if the Lakers finish off the Heat and, and our friend Jimmy Butler. And then we move pretty quickly into offseason speculation and the draft, and the Wolves are one of the. I would think focal point teams with the number one overall pick and, and their desire to get a third superstar. So what are you hearing right now as we
5: inch our way toward NBA offseason fireworks? This a text message from a non-Wolves Western Conference front office executive. Quote, I'm reading it verbatim here from, from my text messages. It's all over the map, this draft. Seems everyone is thinking different and everyone is in trade mode, hmm. so I guess what that means is don't put a whole lot of stock in in the many mock drafts out there. Just such a weird time, right? With with no visits allowed, with this virtual combine, so teams will have access to guys' workout videos, but but you know can't see them in person. Like you think about the traditional combine of of being face to face versus you know via Zoom interviewing guys. Like a lot can be gleaned. In those situations. So I think because of that, that's why and, and just teams having more time than ever to really dig deep on these prospects. That's why I think just, you know, don't put a whole lot of stock in mock drafts because I think draft boards are all over the place. That being said, the Wolves with picks one seventeen and thirty three are in a really strong position. In so many ways, the Wolves control this draft. I hope they so Dukes, I hope they get a third superstar.
3: So there there was um they're working on a fill. There, there was some highly reckless speculation I saw. I want to say last Friday from I think there's a site NBA Trade Reckless speculation that indicated that Doc Rivers, just uh, who has just got the job as the Sixers coach, is really interested in getting ball with the first pick, and that there could be a Ben Simmons to the Wolves trade worked out with the uh, with the Sixers. Getting that first pick, do you find any validity whatsoever in that bit of reckless speculation?
5: I don't right now. I think Elton Brand, I think Doc Rivers are going to see, at least at the start of next season, with Doc in charge, what Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons looks like. I mean, clearly the front office has some sense, but I think with Doc in charge now, they want to see you know what Doc thinks. Maybe at the trade deadline, you know, I think that could be an interesting name. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that's where I think it makes the most sense for the Wolves to draft the best asset. To view that number 1 pick, you know, if it works out long term great, but but if LaMelo Ball is the best trade asset, then you take him. Don't look at Anthony Edwards as maybe the better fit. Mm. Take the guy that is the best asset that maybe has the most, you know, trade equity heading into the trade deadline or the following off season. That's where you can swing a trade where Ball is is the centerpiece where you bring back a superstar like a Ben Simmons? Do I think the Wolves like Ben Simmons? Yes, I think Ben Simmons has fans here. Former high school teammate, oh by the way, of of D'Angelo Russell, I think he could fit in in so many ways. That defense would play here superbly. I think Ben Simmons would be an excellent third star with the Wolves. The contract is a lot, you know. I mean, I would think you know as as Glenn Taylor continues to to talk to to potential. You know, people that 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 could end up owning the team. You know, over the next few years. I mean, that's a lot of money to bring on, right? You know, like you have James Johnson's expiring contract. Dude,
2: when you when you when you've agreed to bring 150 million dollars and Andrew Wiggins on board, there's nothing you balk at going forward.
5: <laughs> nothing, especially if that player
3: looks you dead in the eye and says, "I want it."
2: Exactly. How much? Here's here's a question. All right. So we've seen J- Jimmy Butler is just going gangbusters in these finals. And I think they're going to get beaten five still, but he has sort of shown, all right, Jimmy was right about a lot of things. I don't know if if we love the way that he handled his departure here, but his main beef was with Carl Anthony Towns being soft and any number of other adjectives. And his main beef in Philadelphia reportedly is Ben Simmons, not Joel Embiid. So if Jimmy Butler thinks that Ben Simmons was the problem in Philadelphia and that Karl-Anthony Towns is the problem in Minnesota. How do we feel about that?
5: Well, I mean, how did Jimmy do in Chicago? How did he do in Philadelphia? So it's working now, but I don't know if Jimmy has all the answers. Yeah, I do think, looking back, he was right. And, And make no mistake, by the way, you didn't mention Wiggins there, Phil, and you're pretty much right about that. Like, maybe it was 10% Wiggins, but Jimmy's dilemma here was was 90% Carl Anthony Towns. Man. Maybe even 95%. It, it wasn't so much Andrew. I just don't know if I would then not trade for Ben Simmons because of, of that opinion. Plus, like, what's what's the alternative? I mean, I don't think the Wolves are to the point of of considering a Carl Anthony Towns trade, blowing things up here. So I think you still try to make it work. But, yeah, could it fail miserably? Yeah. I mean, you could well, bring Ben Simmons here and you could still that, stink.
3: That's nothing right? new here with the Wolves. I mean, if
5: Cat and Russell don't want to play defense, you know, and the West keeps getting better and better, you might not be a top eight team in the West. As, as ludicrous as that might sound, having that threesome, those three stars, you still may not even be a top eight team if you don't have the I right, agree. you know, coaching staff in place, the right system in place. And if you don't, give a crap on defense. But I think if you have a chance to acquire Ben Simmons, regardless of what Jimmy Butler thinks, there's a way to make it work and team him with Cat and Russell. If you're Gerson Rosas, you have to do it. I agree. And I'm pretty positive if if Gerson can do that, he will do it. Yep. Agreed. Uh, Any uh, rapid-fire final scoops from you, Dukes? Sure. David Vanterpool, Wolves' associate head coach. He's going to be a head coach at some point. Damian Lillard, in fact, tweeted the other day that these franchises are making a, a grave mistake. I'm paraphrasing, but... But Lillard said pretty much that that David needs to be a head coach right now. It's going to happen. I just don't know if it happens this offseason. Might be in a year or two. But he interviews for the Rockets job tomorrow. He did interview for the Pacers job. I'm told it went well, but it doesn't look like he's going to make the final, you know, whatever it is, three to five that, that gets second interviews for, for the Pacers job. I would not be shocked if his name eventually comes up, maybe even with the Clippers. I mean, even though it looks like that's Ty Lue's job, it looks like the Clippers are at least willing to talk to some folks, so I guess it would not be shocked if at some point it hasn't yet. But if his name comes up in L.A., comes up in Oklahoma City, comes up in New Orleans, but I just don't know if he gets any of these jobs right now. But eventually, David Vanterpool with with the Wolves is going to be an NBA head coach. Zeke Naji, Hopkins High School, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year from the University of Arizona, interviewed earlier this week with the Boston Celtics. Former Gopher Daniel O'Turu. As his combine interview list, his, his virtual interview list. The Houston Rockets are on that list. The Houston Rockets right now do not own a 2020 draft pick. Wow. So you think about Maury, his relationship with Rosas. I don't know what the pieces would look like. They can buy one. But I have to imagine, well, I don't think you're selling if you're the Wolves. You need some sort of asset. If you want to take some money, Someone fine. will sell it. So they have no draft picks and no coach. Yes.
3: Yeah, but, but besides that, they're in great shape. They're in yeah, they're fantastic right. shape.
5: And they want to pay P.J. Tucker, who I love, but P.J. is, what, 35-36? P.J. wants a contract extension. They have that Westbrook contract that's that's troublesome, maybe one of the worst, if not the worst contract. You know, maybe put aside Wiggins, but one of – and Al Horford. But it's one of the worst contracts in the league. So, yeah, I mean, Houston's got some warts. But I imagine at some point, maybe the talks have already taken place, that, that Maury and Houston – I mean, they've interviewed Najee, they've interviewed Oturu, they've interviewed a bunch of draft prospects, but without a pick, clearly they're looking at, I don't think it's a smokescreen, they are looking at acquiring some pick. So when thinking about pick 17 and 33 in particular, like what could a trade potentially look like between the Wolves and the Rockets? I don't know, but I'm just saying that that to me it makes logical sense, especially when GMs know each other, president of operations know each other, that it's inevitable that... that Rosas and Maury have some sort of conversation.
2: That is Darren Doogie Wolfson from Five Eyewitness News Sports Department, and also the Scoop podcast, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and the All News. One other note: Juan
5: Manaya didn't come into a game for the Twins, but was on the Twins' 28-man roster for like three days at the end of August. He has elected free agency, so he had the ability as a minor league free agent. To elect free agency, he has elected free agency. Nice. I'll leave a, you with that note. What a great Sounds run good. for him, too. <laughs> here.
3: That three-day run, I'll never forget it.
2: Nice. Uh, all right, that's inside information about your Bye. local sports teams here. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mackie and Judd. We'll see you guys tomorrow for Action Movie Rewind.
0: This holiday, whether you're making a Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Fred Meyer has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply.
2: Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save $1 each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.